Hello and welcome to another Ori Clark Audio Quick Guide, a straightforward conversation about a range of topics and issues commonly handled by Ori Clark experts for their clients. My name's Dominic Frisby and joining me on today's episode is immigration and employment solicitor and partner at Ori Clark, Juliet Ori, alongside financial services expert and also a partner at Ori Clark, Andrew Thomas. And today's hot topic is company benefits. And let's kick off uh, with you, Andrew. What benefits must a company offer? Well, hi. So it's quite a broad subject, as you can imagine. So we get involved in in arranging a wide array of, of benefits for employees. But to answer your question, what must be offered in, in the UK is a company pension scheme. So we had new rules introduced a few years back, whereby each employer now has to offer a workplace pension scheme for their for their staff, for their employees. Uh, a qualifying workplace pension scheme, no less. So that has to tick various boxes in terms of charging structures, eligibility, and the process of, of enrolling workers. So why was this legislation put in place? As you can imagine, people don't tend to save enough for their for their own retirement, left to their own devices. So it was seen fit that we should really have this framework, certainly for employed individuals, to be enrolled into a workplace pension scheme and, and to encourage them to start saving for their for their retirement. Um, and that framework was was put on to employers to arrange these pension schemes and automatically enrol their workers into the said scheme. So now we have the vast majority of, of employed individuals in the UK being members of pension schemes and receiving a monthly contribution into that into that arrangement. So that's your main mandatory benefit um, for, for your employees in the UK. So as I said, it has to be a qualifying pension scheme. What, what does that actually mean? What do I have to do as, as an employer? Well, the first one is, uh, is around automatic enrolment. Um, employees, as it says, will be automatically signed up to this arrangement. So there's no paperwork, there's no application forms. It will happen automatically. And employees then will start to benefit from this pension arrangement and receive a contribution from their employer. The minimum contribution that's required from the employer is 3% of the employee's earnings. Uh, and the employee also has to make a contribution of 5% of their earnings. So you can see now we have a framework whereby employees are easily enrolled into a pension arrangement and will receive contributions on, on a monthly basis. Is there a maximum amount? Uh, good question. So yes, technically there there is. So under the, the tax rules, employees can contribute 100% of their earnings um, and receive all the tax breaks that, that come along with with pension funding. So, uh, in theory, yes, the, there is a maximum allowance, but for the vast majority of individuals, you know, they, they never reach the, those limits. There is a monetary um, allowance each year for most people of forty thousand pounds as well. So, again, for the vast majority of people, you know, the contributions sit well within within those limits. And is the pension provider? Can you choose, or is it determined by statute? Uh, so this is on the employer really to to go and choose their suitable workplace pension scheme, and and the market now has evolved as you, as you can imagine since this legislation was was put in place. The traditional pension providers are still there offering 
schemes, typically for, for the very large payroll sizes. Um, and we've also seen some new entrants into the market who are offering very low cost, quite simple pension arrangements that make it easy to sign up for, for employers and also for employees to engage with their pension fund, be able to get information online, uh, etc. So the burden is on the employer to find a suitable pension scheme that meets their requirements. And as you can imagine, the, you know, the choice out there does vary hugely in terms of charging structures, in terms of investment options, in terms of um, access and, and usability for, for the employer and, and the employee, how it the systems talk with payroll, for example, to exchange data. So, so yes, there's a wide range of solutions out there. Have you got your pension, Juliet? Do you know, Dom, I do have my pension, so I'm super proud of myself. But on the point of pensions, historically, businesses would have got their own schemes, large organisations and things, is my understanding. But more so now, there are set schemes. And on the whole, more companies will use the set established schemes that are already set up, or the most common one being one of the government schemes. You're right, you're right. I mean, the vast majority of employers offered a pension scheme anyway, even before this legislation was was brought in. I suppose the key change was was this automatic enrolment facility, rather than relying on employees to sign up uh, and opt into the pension scheme. Now the process is, look, you're in automatically. And if you do want to leave the pension scheme, you can do that. And you have a 30-day period in which to opt out. So we've seen now a much larger take-up in pension funding, certainly for employed individuals in, in the UK. And, and a, a point on that, for those that do opt out of the pension, that's fine. It doesn't mean you're not going to benefit from your employer's contribution anymore. Uh, but for some people, they still proceed with that. Uh, there is also a, a re-enrolment process. So every three years, employers have to go through this process of identifying those individuals who've left their scheme in the past and re-enrolling them again. So the whole cycle works works again. So, so you can see the legislation has been set up really to encourage people to, to be part of their company pension and, and to start saving. And what other goodies, what benefits does a typical business that's expanding and seeking talent offer? Well, so pension is the primary one. And I suppose as employers become more successful and expand their their payroll, then one option is to maybe make that pension benefit more generous, possibly by increasing contribution levels, uh, for example. But then outside of pension schemes, the the types of other benefits that are are typically offered uh, are things like private health insurance benefits, life cover arrangements, dental insurances, um, employee assistance programs. There's, there's a real wide array of, 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 of benefits. But as I said, I, w- I, would, I would say an order of popularity, pension, private health care, life cover seem to be the, the, the big three. And how much does it all cost? Well, it depends. I, mean, I, would, I would caveat all my answers, but yeah, it's, it depends who you're insuring. You know, if you, as with any insurance, the price is based on the risk involved. So, if your payroll as a an older profile of, of workers, then your private health care benefits will be more expensive than, than if you're employing bright young things in, the, in their 20s. So for private health care, you could put in place a good quality scheme for at a cost per employee of about 50 to 100 pounds per month. 
Um, bear in mind, in the UK, we've got our National Health Service, which uh, which provides healthcare for for everybody. So, so private healthcare sits alongside the, that National Health Service it benefits really to provide people um, often with healthcare in a, in a private arrangement, but often provides more speedy benefits rather than waiting on on uh, waiting lists for for our national health. People can be seen more quickly in a nicer environment get better more quickly, hopefully, and get back to work and, and carry on as normal. But people are typically really surprised by how cheap private healthcare is compared to other countries. Why is it cheap? Because it's not massively utilised. So that's my view. I mean, Andrew, you've probably got a different view. But in short, if you compare it to America, where everyone uses private health, basically in the UK, obviously, the majority will go to your GP through your local hospital. You only really go and use your healthcare if you want to skip a list or mm-hmm. you've got something specific wrong, I would say. Um, and therefore, health is pretty cheap. And for most American companies or a lot of our overseas clients that are coming in, setting up, they want to do what they're doing in whichever country they're from. So to provide an equivalent package. And they generally fall off their chairs at how cheap our private healthcare is. And it is not necessarily a driving factor for employees or attracting talent. It is something that is, is good to provide. Um, but it's not essential like it is in the other countries. Correct. And, and you're right, you know, if there's an accident or an emergency, you would go to your local hospital and be covered under the NHS. You know, private healthcare really is is there for the follow-on care that you may need or um, also for the lighter stuff, you know, physiotherapy, chiropractors, dental insurance is often bundled in, in with that. You know, that's a, that's a real winner for, for those with a younger workforce, you know, who think, look, I'm never going to get sick, but, you know, I really want my teeth looked after. So, you know, the market is, uh, is, is well-developed and, and really you can tailor your, your healthcare package to suit the needs of, of your employees. You know, that's, you know, I suppose that's a top tip I'd have is, you know, speak to your workers, see what's important to them and, and tailor the package around, around what they think is important. And if you're a startup and, you know, money's tight, what are you, what's your advice then? So obviously you have to comply with, with the pension requirements. So that's a mandatory factor. If you're starting up and the, and the payroll is small, uh, you may decide, look, let's just wait until we've settled and grown a little before we start offering some of these, these benefits. You may want to offer uh, an, an additional um, salary or, or, or payment to staff to, for them to arrange their own benefits to suit their own needs. Before then, you look at group arrangements, which are typically standardised across your whole payroll. You typically need to get to about five staff, no? For it to begin to be economic to get group schemes. Well, I mean, the minimums, you know, you can offer benefits, you know, from one employee upwards. But it's the administration and the cost of that, that potentially you're better in the short term to give them an allowance and say, go get what you want, have it in yours. And when they reach the critical mass come to you and say, right, and then you'll go and broker a scheme for them. It, oh, certainly, there are economies of scale that come with these things. And and you yeah, you may want to offer your key employees specific benefits. You know, what we typically see is the first employee 
on the payroll is quite a key individual that you know often they've had to to recruit from sometimes a much larger employer and they've been offered all these benefits and you know those benefits can be replicated on on an individual basis you don't have to look at group arrangements so yes that's that's what I'd look, I'd look at maybe wait until you've got a few employees uh, on your payroll before you look at, at at a wider group benefit and there are sort of all sorts of benefits that companies are offering which don't necessarily cost anything. So tell us about the ones that are free at the point as far as the company's concerned. Well, yes, I mean, who pays, you know, in, in this case, it's uh, it's our tax authorities, so, um, whereby they give various tax breaks for, for certain benefits. So, so the kind of things that we're, we're looking at are, are a cycle-to-work scheme, whereby Employees can purchase a, a bicycle through their company payroll and, and receive um, tax breaks on, on the cost of that bike. It comes with a little bit of administration involved, but really the the employee can go and choose their you know, choose their bicycle and have it funded through the payroll. And then the company gets a rebate from the uh, tax man, do they? Or uh, yes, yeah, so it's a deduction off gross salary pre-tax. And another one is a loan, a season ticket loan. So for those looking to buy travel costs, so buy you know an annual pass to get for trains and, and tubes, employers can give their staff a loan of up to ten thousand pounds, interest free, which you know, is repayable again through through the payroll. But that that helps finance the, you know, these things certainly for because um, they can be quite expensive. I don't pay for one myself. I get the car, but... Yeah, uh, no, they are. They are not cheap. And I like the look of this one, Perk Box. What's that? An online platform whereby employees can get various discounts and, and incentives with various brands and, and, and companies on, on the high street. So um, employers can provide that to, to their staff. And yeah, there can be quite a, quite a few savings there on all manner of things from uh, from your household you know, groceries through to airport parking, all sorts of things. So um, so yeah, that you know, quite a, quite simple benefits. But but again, it's only for younger employees. They can really see a, a value in in these benefits, and um, you know, it can often be a, a reason why employees will stay with an employer. I you know, yes, I I get a good pay package, but I'm also getting all these these benefits as well, which maybe not be offered with, with another employer down the road. So, yeah. It's definitely become more of the norm to provide benefits, whether they be the soft or the essential ones. I think that has become the norm. Well, certainly, for, you know, if, you've, if you've got a family to, to, you know, as, as well, back to private health care, you know, talking about me, my, you know, my wife and you know, children, private health care is a really valuable benefit you know, to me as, as an individual. And often having that benefit through my employer is far more cost effective than me going to buy a policy on, you know, online directly. So um, it's definitely an age thing, though, Andrew, definitely an <laughs> age thing. So I think, you know, pensions is obviously pretty essential. I mean, a business has got to obviously provide minimum wage. Most businesses are providing more than minimum wage. Then the statutory holiday, then you get into provide the pension and then into your realms, Andrew, of the additional benefits. And I think the most important to, to lots of those that ask us is really death in service is pretty amazing. Obviously, never appreciated by the person that dies, but their entire family appreciate it. And that seems to have huge benefits to the family. Now, I don't know if this is where you come in, but our next bullet point, when I say you, I mean you, Juliet, our next bullet point is legal tips. 
so crucial to what Andrew has been saying, um, historically, best practice was to make sure you had in a contract of employment what you were providing to people. It's now become mandatory in law from the 6th of April 2020 that you must set out in those contracts basically what benefits you're providing. And one of the things that we end up getting involved in is when there's disputes over that. So critical to clearly set out what is being provided. But I would suggest to people they keep things as simple as possible. Careful on leaving. What does that mean? So one of the issues is when an employee is leaving and if a company has all of these benefits in place, you do need to check that they have no active claims going on at the time when they are departing, including family members. So there is an ability, particularly on health. So we've had a number of situations where people are leaving and are in fact receiving ongoing treatment. If a company terminates them, then in theory that benefit falls and then they don't they can't obviously continue with treatment so you can go to the insurer and do this before you've taken them off the payroll and before they've left and they can get their own individual continuing policy exactly yeah that's right it's a really important factor and um, certainly on healthcare benefits then then oh yeah, either coverage can continue via an individual policy and continue that underwriting terms uh, from, from the company scheme. Or if an em- employee is switching to a new employer with a new set of benefits, then often that employee can continue the underwriting terms from their old arrangement across to the new one. You know, that could be quite important uh, where previous claims have, have been made. for Well, health companies love to exclude pre-existing conditions. Exactly, yeah. So... Um, So, yeah, important area. And maybe it shouldn't be you saying this, Andrew, but one of the advice that you give is it's often an advantage to use a broker such as yourself, if only because it stops you paying for certain things twice. (laughs) Well, I would say that. But (laughs) um, it's it's a minefield. You know, you, you do an internet search on employee benefits and you will be there for days just trying to sift through the myriad of options and providers that are out there. You know, a, a broker can help sift through through all of that information and give you advice. You know, one of my roles is is to work with employers and say, okay, look, let's let's talk about options that are available. What's going to be important to you as the employer? What's going to be a benefit to your staff? You know, what's what are they really going to value? Rather than just you know, throwing a monetary amount at benefits, you know, really target down what what your employees are looking for. Well, Andrew, you've done this for. I'm not going to say how many decades, but you know the market, you know those that will provide, you know yeah. what, a, what a decent quote is and what isn't, which, you know, to us lowly people, when we do our Google search, yeah. we've no idea whether it's right or wrong. And negotiate as well, you know, healthcare providers, you know, you don't always have to accept their first price. So, you know, a little bit of uh, competitive information from from their competitors often works well to, to negotiate a good price. That's what a good broker will do. My takeaway from today's interview is that if you are an employer, you have lots of obligations. It's very complicated. Get some advice. Is that, is that a fair summary? <laughs> That's fair, but I would say it's not as complicated. It is pretty straightforward if you get the right advice, basically. On that note, thank you very much to today's guests, who were Juliet Ory and Andrew Thomas. 
And if you want to find out more information about anything we've just been talking about, you can find more information in the resource library section at oriclark.com. And if you can't find what you need, then send us an email at contact at oriclark.com and one of our experts will get back to you and tell you everything you need to know. Until next time, cheerio. Cheerio.